Welcome to another edition of the Stoutcast podcast. Bob Moffitt solo this time. It's spring training time. We're in beautiful Arizona. The flowers are kind of out. It's actually relatively chilly, but we have three, what I have been told, are marvelous things here in front of us that are going to warm us up. We are at Helton Brewery in beautiful downtown. Downtown Phoenix, Arizona, just off Indian School. That voice is Brian Helton. He is the owner. Next to him is Rob Coat, who is the head brewer and head janitor. And then Josh Archuleta, who is the assistant brewer. So, Brian, tell me a little bit about how you went from making stuff in your garage to opening up this uh, fantastic space here. All right. I've been brewing now for about 28 years. It's just time to find a building, get some equipment, and uh, do it on my own, so to speak. So, yeah, we've been here now just shy of three years. We have a variety of beers besides uh, the three styles, what we're going to be looking at today. We usually have about four or five IPAs, a couple sours, a couple pilsners. We also like to play around with lagers and mixed cultures. And, you know, so we're just kind of that neighborhood industrial brewery here in Phoenix. How do people find you? Well, it's kind of a word of mouth for sure in that brewing community, but uh, social media is king right now when it comes to all that kind of stuff. So you guys can uh, Google brewery near me or when you're in Phoenix, uh, just look at the Craft Brewers Guild and they have on their website all the breweries that are in the whole state. So when people come and visit, it's a great resource for them to say, hey, you know, what's up in Flag if we're going up there this weekend or Tucson or Phoenix. So, yeah, you know, check that out. Are you canning or bottling? Yeah, we are. We're doing bottles and cans. Right now we're using a mobile canning company that comes in about every three weeks and we'll can up. We have three SKUs or products, let's say, or styles of beer right now. And we're about ready to move to five, hopefully before the end of summer. So the three in front of us, we have a... Uh, we have a milk stout, milk stout on nitro, we have a milk stout on CO2, and then we have an imperial stout. So, Rob, tell us first about the milk stout on nitro. Uh, you know, the milk stout is just something that Brian's been doing for, what, 15 years now, and we've just kind of owned it in, and, um, you know, just straightforward, light-bodied. The lactose really carries through to sweeten it up. And then we decided to kind of move towards the CO2 version to give it a little more roast uh, a lot of people were, you know, asking for a little more out of it, didn't like the sweetness. So it's been a big seller for us and kind of moving that into production a little more. All right. And then what was the impetus behind the original? The market's kind of flooded, you know, like I said, I've been brewing for a while. There wasn't really a sector when it comes to like a British cream stout or a sweet stout. Um, and of course, I always love to have two or three versions of all styles of beer, you know. So when you're doing an imperial, well, great. And then, you know. That's your big boy. But on the lower side of things, a milk stout just kind of fit the niche because you'd still always have an oatmeal stout or an English dry stout or an Irish dry stout. So you're always playing around with different stouts. So the, the sweet stout hit a market and people liked it because it was kind of missing out here. And then Josh, what do you think about, you know, what goes into it and how it all comes together? Everything goes into it between the specialty malts, the, uh, the mash temp, um, how we condition it, uh, being able to split both between CO2 and nitro gives everyone here comes, you know, you, someone will be like, I really want that on nitro. I like the mouthfeel. I like the sweetness. Just as Rob mentioned, you know, someone would be like, hey, I really like that, but I want a little more roast. I want a little more body. I want this. I want that. And that CO2 just delivers it. And now we drink. really light it's light and creamy it's uh 
the finish is nice. That's the one thing that, that always that I really don't like about you know beers often is when you you're still tasting whatever it was and it's not a particularly pleasant experience after long after you're done um that's really good that's really good i guess just like i I know you've all had it but now you just tasted it again i guess just what 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 are you tasting what are you what are you experiencing for me it's just you know it's just refreshing after a long day it's the creaminess really comes through and you know i could sit here and probably drink three or four pints of it and, and you know, be ready to move to something bigger right after. But, you know, it's just a, a nice beer to get off work and sit down and just kind of relax to. What's the alcohol content on it? This one's coming in around 5.2 to 5.6, typically, depending on what we're trying to get through. It's the, the French chocolate kind of vibe is coming through to me, always has. And being a trigenated gives that, you know, false sense of, you know, being carbonated. But it gives a creaminess and a kind of a nice, easy, smooth. And like Rob was saying, this is one that... You know, a lot of beers uh, on the market are one and out these days. Um, this is one that you can definitely is considered to be a sessionable, quaffable beer. You can like easily drink four or five of these. You know, so quaffable, really? Yes, that's, really? That's actually yeah. a word. Yes, a sessionable. That's a, just another word way of saying sessionable. So you quaff something, but it would be if you if you if it's able to be quaffed, then it's quaffable. That's fantastic. Oh, I got a new. I learned something new today. And then you were in an episode of Family Guy just now. I pretty much yeah. Yeah. So what? And you're just. What are you experiencing when you when you taste it? So for me, I'm a stouts guy through and through, just like you. I like IPAs. I like pilsners. I like all that stuff. But stouts, dark beers, I love them. I'm a coffee drinker, so I like roast. I like bitterness. Um, so that's what I get out of it. I get that a little bit of that roast, a little bit of that bitterness. On the nitro, it's really good just because it's nice. It, it's smooth and it's sessionable. It's light. I, it really, it melds together nicely to the point where I'm not like noting any one flavor individually, which with a milk stout I like. I, when I hear milk stout, I'm thinking not milkshake, but at least really smooth and creamy. And, and so I'm not exactly all sure what's going into it, but I got a little little coffee, little little roast, little just a little bit of everything. It's really well balanced. It's got a great finish. It's... Uh, it's really good it's 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 very good very good all right so so we have this and now so what will we expect from the co2 um again what's and what's in it what are what are the all the things that are going into it and then what's and then what are we expecting from the co2 well the carbonic acid will change any beer um that's brianna by the way going in and out of the freezer with a with a with a keg or she just got outed all right but the carbonic acid, when you add CO2 to a beer, it will always accentuate the roast characters. Um, of course, nitrogenated beers were kind of done to mask the actual aspect of a cask, so in English, real ale. So the CO2 is always reduced heavily, and then we infuse nitrogen and CO2 into the nitrogenated one to give it that mouthfeel. Well, the carbonic one, it really does bring out the roast character a little bit more. So for us, I mean, stouts are kind of a, an easy beer to brew, to be honest with you. But the English malts that you use, and depending on the chocolate malt you use, is extremely different. So that's why there's such a wide variety of stouts out there with different flavors. We decided that we like crisp on this one, so it's taken us a while to figure that one out. Um, Simpson's a little bit more on the sweeter side, so it all depends on what you're trying to do. But traditionally, this is still an English cream style sweet stout. By adding the carbonic acid, it just changed the profile and gave it a little bit more of a, a roast character. And not everybody has a cellar stream, so our accounts were wanting this stout, 
So we'd ask them, and, it's like, and they thought, well, Guinness mix, 75-25, would be enough. And, well, it wasn't. You know, so for us to meet the demand of the public, we had to do a, a CO2 version of it, and it's taken off. So it's kind of nice. Just the carbonic acid, that's the only Purely, thing different? That's the only thing that's different. That's totally, it's the same damn beer. It's just the only thing that's different. I was expecting it to be, I guess, a little more bitter, and that's from the roast. And also, like, does that increase sort of the length of time it stays on your tongue afterwards? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and... It, it, it all depends, you know, with everyone's tactical response on their, you know, palates different. Did we're you just all, say tactical response? Sure. Okay. I mean, we're all just a, a walking chemical factory, right? I mean, your response and how you smell and what I smell and taste are totally different, you know? So, yeah, and we're talking nuances of flavors here. I mean, this is a very subtle change. But at the same time, I mean, you can go back and forth between that one and the CO2 version, and you'll be like, oh, I really never knew that CO2 injected into beer would change the you know, flavor profile. And it's evident. It's right there in front of you. So it's kind of neat. All right. So I'll put Brian on the spot already. I'm going to put Rob and Josh on the spot. Which one do you like better? Personally, myself, uh, the CO2 version. I'm not a big dessert sweet kind of guy. So I think you strike I, me as sort of sour. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm more of a sour head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just like the roast character, and you know, it gives it a little more body from from my palate. You know? And um, Josh, I actually like them both equally the same. So, dude, dude, no, do. dude, we're not running for office. No, no, I don't, man. I I love I love the fact that it's the same beer two different ways. I like the fact that. You know, one day I could have it this way, and one day it's like I get my cake and eat it too, man. I really like it. Yeah, I um, haven't just started with the with the sweet. I might have probably done it the other way around. Started with the bitter one, and then been able to appreciate more of the bitter. But once I've had the sweet and I enjoyed it as much as I did, sure. then afterwards the bitter is kind of like, yeah. huh. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to withhold judgment for a second, and then I'm gonna, we're going to go to the Imperial. Um, and then I'm going to come back to that and just see if, and see if like, the change, if, if, but, I mean, I like it. It's good. That's a great thing. Stouts are great. I mean, regardless, they're going to be good to great to excellent. If you screw up a stout, you've really done something, in my opinion. But very few have. But it's, um, it's different, and I certainly don't like it as much as the other one. But it's still, still pretty darn good. I always thought, you know, when people are asking, trying to figure out what beer they like, people, when they come in, they're like, oh, I really don't like beer. I love when people say that because we'll inundate them with tons of different beers that we have. But one of the questions I ask them is like, all right, when you drink your coffee, do you put cream and sugar in it? So typically those people do not like bitter beers. So right off the bat, all right, IPAs are out, right? So that's when I'll give them this actual milk stout on nitrogenated compared to the one on carbonic acid. So... As brewers, we're not always brewing the best damn beer that we possibly can. Instead, you got to pick, all right, if you have 12, 15 taps on, you still have to sell to everyone. So if someone comes in and they like a sweet stout, cool. If they like a bitter one, cool. So you give them both. So it all depends on people's preference. All right. And next, the uh, the third and final? The Imperial Stout. Um, Imperials are hard. Uh, you know, you, you did make a good comment. Making a stout is easy. Making an imperial is not because there's a lot of things going on with an imperial stout. One. I never said it was easy. Yeah. 
I said it was. It seems to be really difficult to to make a bad one. Yeah, I agree with that because there's a lot of flavors to mask it. You know, I mean that's why uh, Pilsner is by far the hardest beer to brew. And like I said, we always tease. You can hide a dead cat in an IPA or a stout. You'll never taste it. All those. Flavors. Oh, I've tasted it. <laughs> <laughs> that's bad. But you know, all these flavors will mask you know the imperfections of the brew day or the yeast health or. I mean, there's seven or eight different off flavors in every single beer. Our job, Rob's job, is again below the threshold, so we can't taste them. So, you know, when you have all these roasted characters, it'll happen. With an Imperial, you're getting the alcohol content high enough, and this one's coming in at 12.1, that it actually waters down the mouthfeel. So for the longest time, I've worked very diligently on trying to get the mouthfeel up and not be kind of thin. I mean, I think that's the worst thing about a big stout or any big beer. When it gets thinned out, it's just, I'm, I'm just a mouthfeel type of guy, you know, and I don't like that. So this one, we've uh, we got a couple of hidden secrets that we've worked on and we're kind of happy with what we've done with it. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's just big, a lot of flavors going on, a lot of alcohol. Those alcohol, fusel alcohols need to mellow. They need aging. So this one, we're-, we're Is it aged? Out. Has it aged? Is it mellowed? Is well, it? Well, we brewed this in November. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is five months old, so yeah, it's compared to where it was, this is pretty light. So, uh, okay, what's in it? This one, a lot of chocolate malt, a lot of dark roast, a lot of uh, roasted barley, a um, lot of oats, ton of oats. Um, so, we uh, use a lot of oats, I'll, I'll put it that way. There's, there's a little secret, like he said, uh, that we don't usually share with people uh, just to get it up a little, get the body a little fuller. But mostly a lot of alcohol. Does it involve a 50-pound sack of flour? Uh, no, no Fail. flour. Okay. Well, <laughs> we, then I'm out of guesses. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you, the, the alcohol hits you in the nose immediately. I mean, yeah. just when you, you go to take a sip. So this one's not quaffable? I would say this is not quaffable. Uh, <laughs> um, it's uh, really roasty, and it's really boozy. How much barley is in it? Uh, as far as flaked barley or just grain well, in, in general? In general, I guess. Uh, this is Not knowing exactly what I'm talking uh, about, feel I, free to answer however I, you'd like. I fill our mash tun to the top with this. Uh, there's about 780 pounds of grain in this batch, and it's an eight-barrel batch. So about 100 pounds per barrel is what we're pushing, which is a lot for a beer. And it tastes it tastes like it. If you, but if you like if you like that, if you like barley, if you like... Um, I don't. I, I, there's oats kind of underneath it, but the barley's the one that I'm really getting the I'm really getting the whiff out of. Um, yeah, Josh, what do you think? Uh, it's 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 definitely boozy. Um, it's got a lot of roast to it. Um, it, was a, it was a fun beer to make. You know, um, I've I've been uh, with the team full time now for almost a year, and we got to uh, you know I got to learn a lot. You know, just from you know making like we talked about making a stout earlier. Being able to learn high gravity brewing techniques was a really cool experience for me. Explain high gravity. I mean, every once in a while we get into it, but we're into episode, I think this is 22, um, for those that didn't, haven't been with us for all of the journey. What does high gravity mean? Well, it's a technique. Uh, once you get almost pat, every system's different, so you know you can't really quote me on that one, but. Typically, once you move past the 8%, um, we move into a, a high gravity brewing technique on our runoffs. So if you're below 8%, um, on a lot of systems, 
you do a typical mash, right? There's an hour, you know, you recirculate it, then you sparge it, which is an hour and a half. And then everything is moving to the kettle at this time and the kettle's slowly filling up. So you're probably about six hours into a brew day. When you do a high gravity, then you make all your sugars in the mash and you need to get all those sugars to go to your kettle before you start leaching out or watering down with your sparge water. Here comes Brianna. So that's what high gravity is. Um, home brewers, they know as like first wart runnings, you know, so that's a term that you'll hear a lot. So they'll just take all the wort, move it over to the kettle, and then they're done. As professional brewers, we throw a lot of sparge water because there's a lot of proteins, hydrophobic proteins, flavors, compounds that you need to also move over into the actual kettle. This is the first time that we've heard the term quaffable. What was the other one? There's something else we came up with, something else too. Um, it was so long ago, it was like seven minutes. Sparge? Yeah, sparge is a, a term that we all use um, in the brewing community. It's, not in California, they don't. <laughs> um, lottering. So you ever heard of lottering? There we go. It's, it's almost the same process, you know. So yes, exactly. And explain what, and just keep going. Where, where, where well, you're, you're just ready. moving the, the wort from one container to the next. But, you know, like I said, there's a lot of flavors, residual proteins, hydrophobics that you need to move over to the kettle as well. And by doing that, you need to have temperature, time, and you need to do it slowly. So you're not leaching out other polyphenols that's going to give flavors that you do not want in the beer. So, Polyphenols? Uh, okay, put it this way. Um, the polyphenols is the vegetative material. Of course, we're dealing with agricultural industry, right? Grain, hops. Okay. So the skins of all the malt that we use, if you leach out the polyphenols at certain pHs or certain high temperatures, it becomes very, well, what you guys would know as tannins and red wine. That's not very acceptable in beer, right? Especially if you're doing a pilsner, you'll taste that. So the temperature at which we uh, sparge and the runoff and the pH is extremely critical at that point. So that's what we're looking at. It's yeah, we're episode 22 and literally this is the first time we've ever like gone into that kind of detail on that on that section. So that's why yeah, I learn something new every time, including quaffable. Yeah. Um for whatever reason, and it may just be have been the, the impact of the, or the effect of the other, um, the previous ones, but the second one, I liked a lot better. Yeah. And, you know, hence, that's what we said. It's like, you know, you walk in here, I got four different IPAs. People will say, I love IPAs or I don't like IPAs. You know what? They might like one of my IPAs. Stout, same thing. We have a big 12% and we also have a very low percent. I mean, there's three different ones. We have a Baltic Porter on, which borders the actual aspect of a stout right now. If you would try that, you would probably enjoy it being a, a stout, you know, drinker. And we use two different yeasts on that. We use an ale and a lager on it. So the idea is not for everyone to like all my beers. Of course, it's never going to happen. But when they walk in, they should find one that they're like, you know what, I like that beer. And that's our job. It's not actually brew for everybody so they can actually enjoy that. All right. Um, that was, that was sip number three. I'm going to have four at my own peril. Yeah, the fourth one, I mean, and just the, the more, and it could have just been the other, the other, the previous, the previous beers. Um, it's just, it's a lot smoother on impact um, once you get into it a little bit. Um, it still has, it still has a little bit of a lingering aftertaste, which 
I'm not crazy about is that is that hops um, at the end? No, that's your fusel alcohols. Um, the fusel alcohols are always going to be that way. That's why your big beers like this they need aging. Um, so your fusels are going to come through your palate like a freight train sometimes, and they linger. You know, so your larger alcohol beers they need to be aged. That's why, like I said, we brewed this beer for every year in Arizona. We have. Um, a strong beer festival that the guild puts on and it's great it's in the end of uh, sometimes beginning or in the middle of february yeah so we brewed this like i said in november just to get that beer ready for it you know and typically a lot of these imperials you want to age for six months and or put them in barrels and let them sit there for one two years and those fusils will start to mellow out but you can feel fusils in your chest i mean as soon as you drink it you can feel that heat you know, they're, they're very high-end alcohols, but if you're doing a 12% beer, 13 14%, that's what you're dealing with, you know. All right, so the rating system goes uh, excellent, very good, good, fair, poor, and wouldn't feed it to the cat. <laughs> We're right at, at very good to excellent for the, for the milk stout. That is, that, is, that is some luscious goodness. Uh, I went back to the, on CO2, and it's, it's um it's just not to me it's not as it's not as enjoyable as as the other one so again that's me and that's usually why i have a co-host right. and so with that way like somebody says oh bob liked that beer but it sucks so every time bob likes a beer then i'm going to know it sucks and if bob says it sucks and i like it then i'm going to know it. so 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 please don't take offense no, no, uh, but no, i like i like no, the I, I like the co2 i just don't like it as much so i'm going to give it a i'm going to waffle I'm going to waffle on the quaffableness of it with a good to very good. The Imperial, I'm going to go... Yeah, you know, the more I drink it, the more I like it. Yeah. So I'm going to go good to very good on the Imperial. The aftertaste is sort of off-putting, but you know what the great thing about it is? Is in order to get rid of the aftertaste, you just... You, exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Bob. When you drink your coffee, do you drink cream and sugar or just uh, drink it black? I don't drink coffee. Ah, uh, there you go. But you say, like stouts, it's so crazy. I love the smell of coffee, yeah. um, but I it makes me shake. Yeah. So I literally, I just can't drink it. I can drink sodas all day, yeah. but I cannot do coffee. It just it just yeah. it messes with me. So, uh, but I love I love coffee stouts, um, and I, yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, but it's so I I. It's you know it just kind of depends on what it also depends on like what I'm expecting. Um, and so that's why I always ask, like, all right, what's in it? What am I expecting? And so, like, this one, didn't know that the barley was in it. But then once I know the barley's in it, then I know to expect that. So if you like barley, then this one's definitely for you. Yeah. Um, and that's really the whole point of this is to try to go, okay, this is what's in it. Here's what they were intending. If you like this, then you will love this. Yeah. Um, if you like something else, then maybe this isn't for you. It's just kind of like what you do when people come into the barn. Absolutely. So regardless, these are three good to very good and in this case excellent excellent brews and we're exceedingly grateful for you hosting us here at Helton Brewery in downtown Phoenix so and that'll do it for head brewer and head janitor Rob Coat for the owner and founder Brian Helton and for Josh Archuleta assistant janitor and assistant brewer I'm Bob Moffat thanks for joining us again on the Stoutcast and we'll catch you next time